Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are... It's the Austrian Grand Prix, and it's a full weekend of action. A new team enters for 2026. Coscap rears its ugly head again. Silly season continues, and is F1 growing in the right way? Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Brian Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Once a week, we update you on everything that you need to know from the world of Formula One. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at www.formulanerds.com. My name is Ollie, and you guessed it, it's the trusty two, Sam and Abby. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It sounded like you wanted to say trio there, but then had to pivot somewhat. <laughs> to, uh, I did. Did you to, see my face? Just oh, got stuck. Yeah. There. Oh no. What, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm one of. The thing. We are a trio. You're on the panel as well, as well as hosting. So I think I think you could have let that one slide. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm all good. How are you this week? Yeah, very good. We, we've we've had a busy one so far, and it looks like it's only going to get busier. Um, Abby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And yes, it's a very busy weekend ahead for all three of us and the rest of the F1 community. It is. But before we get into what's happening this weekend, there has been some breaking news. And that breaking news is regarding AlphaTauri or the lack of AlphaTauri next year. Abby, do you want to just talk us through what's come out today? Yes, so today it was announced by Helmut Marko that in 2024, AlphaTauri will no longer exist in a sense the team is going to undergo some major changes which will include some new sponsors and a new team name so goodbye Alpha Tauri but Helmut Marko has hinted that Alpha Tauri or whatever the name will be will revert back to being Red Bull's junior team he said the course is clear follow Red Bull racing as far as the regulations allow designing your own is not the way 
So people are panicking, saying that this is the end of Alpha Tauri. Um, the, the team, as we know, it, it's not really. All the team members are still going to be the same. It just seems to be a bit of a change of name and direction for this team. I mean, we spoke earlier in the year about them being up for sale, but it just seems like this is the direction they're going to go in. Sam, what are your thoughts on this uh, breaking news as it is? It's an interesting one because, as Helmut Marco says, they're taking steps back to what their model was when the team was under the Toro Rosso guys, which is essentially a more conventional B team, as it were. As we know, through the AlphaTauri era, they've still been a proving ground for future uh, future Red Bull drivers, but they have tried to keep things more separate. Whether or not that is really how things have been working, we'll never really know. It's interesting that they're being more open about Basically, we're just going to copy the Red Bull and go from there. They've they're obviously dissatisfied with the level of performance that's coming out of AlphaTauri. We already know that it's it's not a money maker for them. So I think it further muddies the water as to whether or not this is a fair way of conducting um, team ownership throughout the F1 paddock. Having a B team, you know, you've got a junior program and you have close alliances with F2 and F3 teams. Should that be where it stops? Because for me, although they're saying they're getting closer to the 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 rebel umbrella, you know, almost a rebel B team or rebel two team, in that sense, I do feel like it's probably the first steps towards them actually selling up. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I'm conflicted as to how I feel about it because I'm shocked that they've kind of come out and been like, look. Yeah, we've been close, but we're actually going to get closer to how we have been, which is what people generally, I think, have been calling for to not happen, if that makes sense. And I don't want to spend too long on this because we've got so much news to get through today, but it also sort of cements the, the what's been going on with, with Nick DeFries and Helmut Marko saying Christian Horner didn't want him and... Is Nick DeFries' seat secure for next year? It really doesn't look like it now. I mean, Abby, do you think he'll still be in this team? Do you think there's another race seat for him? Or do you think if he can turn it around, maybe? Or, you know, what do you think? Because it's been a weird week of news for AlphaTauri, really. It has. It certainly has, and we'll touch on it more later in the podcast. I do think his seat has been called into question. Obviously, with major changes, it could even bring into question Sonoda, although he has been outperforming the car, personally, I would say, and obviously outperforming DeVries. But I think a lot is up in the air for the team at the moment, and it will be interesting to see what does happen, either over the summer if decisions are made then, or heading into the winter for next season. Okay, so moving on to this weekend, it is the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg. Now, as the name suggests, this is Red Bull's home track, um, but it's also a sprint weekend, and it's also F2 and F3. So I was just looking at the schedule for this weekend, right? So um, I'm going to just just go through it. So on Friday, we have Formula 3 practice, Formula 2 practice, Formula 1 practice, Formula 3 qualifying, Formula 2 qualifying, Formula 1 qualifying. That's on Friday. <laughs> Before we've even got going. Uh, on Saturday, we've got Formula 3 sprint race. We've got Formula 1 sprint shootout. We've got Formula 2 sprint race. And then we've got the Formula 1 sprint race some people say but it's just down as a Formula 1 sprint and then Sunday we got the Formula 2 sorry Formula 3 feature race Formula 2 feature race and then the Formula 1 race guys it's going to be a heck of a weekend um are you excited for this or be honest are you sort of dreading the amount of 
stuff there is to, to cover and also find time to watch because it just means that you can't leave the house all weekend. Sam, as our editor-in-chief who has to make sure that we cover all of this, how are you feeling leading up to this weekend? I'm feeling okay because I'm trying to look at it in a positive spin uh, and I'm talking about the sprint race weekend format. Obviously a little bit more hectic because we've now got F3 in the mix, whereas in Baku we had F2. But I do think the whole sprint format for Formula 1 will work better somewhere like the Red Bull Ring. It's a shorter circuit. So the, and I'm talking about the sprint qualifying here, I think we'll we'll run a little bit smoother and we'll potentially have a more interesting session than we had in Baku because of that. Uh, again, it's looking like it's going to be um, pretty wet over the weekend. So that could could be a factor. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot. I think, boy, it's th- 13 sessions or so, 10 of which are, you know, not practice so there's a lot of running that really does count and because again um f1 is going to be a little bit more like f2 and f3 in having re- reduced running for practice that session also really really counts so i think it, it'll be interesting i think it really could actually work in that sense but i think there's still a way to go with the f1 format for the uh sprint weekends yeah, and as you touched on there, Sam, I'm just looking at the weather forecast now. So we've got uh, rain Friday, Saturday, and scattered showers currently on Sunday. But forecast for Monday is all-day rain thunderstorms. So it could really change, as we know. Weather forecasts are very rarely right. Um but, Abby, do you think this could really be an exciting weekend? Because, you know, when it rains at Monaco, there's everyone's going to take it slightly more easy. But when you've got, um, you know, no barriers around, it does mean that drivers are going to take more risks even when it's raining. And, yes, for F1, we know we've got Max Verstappen, the wet master, um, and a lot of drivers as well that are just dominant in, in, in the wet. But do you think this is sort of what we need for what could be a really predictable weekend otherwise? I think so. Like Sam said, I think the sprint format for F1, which is obviously new this year, could work better here at Austria than it did in Baku. But also just the nature of the Red Bull ring. Like I spoke to Ferdinand Habsburg yesterday and he said that this circuit is a great circuit for bringing the midfield into opposition. And as we've said before on the podcast this year, you don't really have a clear cut order of the team so far. We're what, 10 rounds into the season and the midfield is kind of all up in the air yes you have Alpine out front behind the top four and AlphaTauri looking to be 10th but in between it's a right mix you've got Williams doing really well Alpha Romeo are kind of up and down so I think with the wet weather as well coming into play it could be a really exciting weekend and I feel like the grid may be not what we would usually predict to see in Austria as well. Now I know what I'm about to say is a comment with absolutely no foundation to it but I feel like we are due the first surprise of the season in terms of a race winner. I feel like it's about now that something just needs to come in and just throw what we knew out the window and especially at the red bull ring could we have a different winner of the at the red bull ring sam do you think or do you think perez will be there should there be an issue with max or um here i am again trying to uh make it sound exciting for the for the race win um we know it's exciting behind but uh, sam do you think do you think we're due a, a little surprise I think we all do that, but with Red Bull being the PR machine that they are, uh, they're not so much a energy drink company, but more a massive PR conglomerate. Um, let's face it, they love love marketing, which is why I think we've seen so much 
domination of the news cycle this week. That is a clear strategy heading into the home race, as far as I'm concerned. So I don't think they're going to let this opportunity uh, slip through their fingers. If something happened, it, it would have to happen to both drivers is what I'm saying. I think Perez will have to be there or thereabouts. Um, otherwise, his position becomes ever more untenable uh, moving forward. So, yeah, I think we are due one. I said last week that Austria is, I think, the last time Ferrari won a race. Obviously, it was switched with Silverstone last year. So, Ferrari are well overdue a win. It's been a year, basically. Um, but I can't help but feel that it's going to be Mercedes or Aston who will capitalise if Red Bull aren't there absolutely and as you said yeah Charles Clare won it last year which and it was a good race last year um so let's hope we get we get another one but moving on to the next bit of news um we've spoken a lot about new teams entering Formula One and could you believe it someone's listened Abby they have so high tech grand prix or high tech pulse eight who currently race in f2 f3 and f4 announced this week that they have applied to join the formula one grid for 2026 onwards they released a press release saying in 2023 after 20 months of planning and extensive preparation at its silverstone base high tech made its application for entry into the fia formula one championship from the 2026 season a move that would complete its single-seater ladder and demonstrate that high tech has all the right people experience and resources to compete alongside the best teams in the world so with high tech joining we now have four confirmed teams to have entered applications with high tech andretti lucky sons and formula equal so i think it's only two maximum that can be accepted for 12 teams on the grid it's definitely interesting. I personally really like high tech. Obviously, racing in junior formula, F1 seems the next logical step to go. What do you guys think about it? I think this is a natural one for Sam to answer. Um, but I mean, I'm all in. If you if you out of those 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 teams you gave me, it would be Andretti and high tech for me. But I know that's not quite how it works, is it? It's not quite how it works, no. Uh, but they are the two names that have the the big draw, the the name appeal. Uh, high tech. We knew this was coming. This has been, uh, you know, as as they said, a couple of years in the making, and there were pretty loud whispers about this uh, throughout the the paddock and the F one community. A selling of you know twenty five percent stake uh, in their in the business to Vladimir Kim. Again, we knew that would have to come at some point because you need to finance a new team. As you know, as we know, it's a, not a, not a cheap venture to get into Formula One, and it's set to get even more expensive when the next. Um, Concord agreement comes into place and now is the time to act which is why we're seeing a lot of interest in this for me though to, to answer your question I think Andretti are maybe burning bridges when they should be building them high tech could capitalize on that lucky sons again a little bit of a, um, a maverick a trailblazer in the mix so it'll be interesting to see if you know a contrarian approach works there I think the it shouldn't be a contrarian approach, but perhaps is the one that I would like to see, you know, do well and be one of those two teams uh, to make up the 12 would be former equal. I think what they stand for and what they represent is far more important than big name draw or gravitas. And knowing high tech like you do, Sam, do you think they've, I mean, obviously they've thought about this for over the last uh, 18, 20 months, but do you think they've got what it takes to actually um, compete at a high level? Or do you think it's going to be a steep learning curve for them from day one? Um, 
but they've got they've they've obviously got all the drivers as well ready to ready to promote. They do, but they that's interesting that you mentioned the drivers because high tech through Oliver Oaks and through the Red Bull family have ties to Red Bull, which is why it's interesting to see a a formal bid for the, by them to be a, their own entity as opposed to buying Aftari. Clearly, they are split on that front they're you know not putting all their eggs in one basket so i i do think we could see a pivot in strategy if, if that is you know a viable option for them buying alfatari but also a new team in themselves so expect them to work closely with red bull still they won't be a junior team in the conventional sense like we have seen with alfatari and before that toro rosso but yeah, they have the drivers, they have the expertise, they are a clearly a well-run outfit, as we've seen. They've been competitive in F2 for a, for a while, albeit not kind of quite fighting for championships, and they are certainly getting there in F3 as well. So I would, you know, there's a lot, a, a lot of credentials there and a lot of weight behind them. So it's not just going to be, you know, we're going to stick it on the, the back of the grid and see how we go. I think they will be competitive obviously they'll be looking at kind of getting into the midfield as a as a reasonable start so i mean 2026 is starting to look like a really exciting prospect now with new teams new regulations um but one thing that's not maybe quite as exciting but equally as important is the cost cap and the cost cap has come back into the news this week sam do you want to tell us why yeah go on then um so as we know, the cost cap is a contentious subject and it's something that, as we've established from last year, needs to be as black and white as possible. Formula One um, through the FIA have identified a potential loophole um, whereby personnel that are attached to a team who are working in other disciplines um, and sports, so James Allison being one, working with Ineos's yacht racing team, that expertise that he and you know, would have developed you know, any information or learnings, anything like that, that is come across through non-F1 disciplines that could, you know, fortune the F1 team isn't technically still part of the cost cap, or at least it wasn't. So you could, yeah, make developments and further understand things and that be applied to your F1 car without it impacting the cost cap. So that obviously is a bit of a, a grey area. The likes of, you know, the biggest teams on the grid, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, etc., I've thought to potentially be utilising this. So what F1 has, has basically done is close that. So now, any IP, any information, any developments, knowledge, whatever, that has come from a an external source within your wider family has to be now factored into the cost cap. And that is called Technical Directive 45. It has come into place and is backdated to the 1st of January 2023. So that will be factored into the cost cap for the season. I mean, this is all getting really complex. And obviously it has to be. Uh, it's, it's such a difficult thing to manage. Um, Abby, do you think this is, do you think they'll ever have full control over the cost cap? Because there are so many ways it can do things, partner companies, contractors. I mean, it, it is just a complex beast. And how can the FIA look at everything? And, and 
it's just monumental to to really um, comply with this cost cap. And do you think they'll start finding things out years later down the line and go, oh, God, what do we do now? That's certainly a possibility. Like you said, it is monumental. And for the FIA to monitor everything for all 10 teams and make sure that they follow the cost cap letter by letter, number by number, and follow it completely, that is very difficult. I'd like to say that now with this new technical directive, all the rules in place beforehand, it would be quite easy for the teams to follow, but it is a complex process. And Unless you are part of the FAA, part of F1, part of the teams, it can be quite complicated to actually comprehend yourself if you're just a fan of the sport. But I do think having this new technical directive in place, as you said, Sam, backdated for January this year, it will help because... It, you can't have a team breaching the cost cap. Obviously, last year we saw Red Bull and Aston Martin. I know Aston Martin's was a minor offence, but they still breached it. And it isn't fair if a team does, because then it, you who knows if it can impact that season, the following seasons, two seasons on. It could have a domino effect. So having this in place will help. And I think La Gazzetta del Sport, the media outlet in Italy, has also reported that the four top teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes and Aston, have been asked to declare any knowledge to the FIA that they may have acquired from other sporting projects. So it is something the FIA are clamping down on and it is good to see that they are working hard to try and get rid of any loopholes within the cost cap so far. Well, as, as, as well as them, surely McLaren, which are, you know is a very broad church, motorsport-wise, and including their applied technologies kind of uh, offshoot as well. Surely they are an, another outfit that needs to be to be looked at in that sense. Uh, but yeah, it's essentially tightening up that stuff. Um, and yeah, I think it, it needs to be done because it might not be obviously. Or first, obviously, applicable information or knowledge, but if it has any impact at all, we need to kind of yeah, police it well. Absolutely. And if you want to read more on that, you can uh, read the financial regulations document, which I've still not read because uh, it's 36 pages and I don't understand any of it. But it is all there online if you go to the FIA website. Um, on that note, we're going to take a quick pause for the cause and we'll be back in just a moment. So... As we all know, it's late June. It's getting towards the summer. It's getting towards the conventional silly season in F1. And, oh, it's really ramped up a gear this week. So, we've already mentioned Alpha Towery somewhat. Uh, this this episode, you know, we've brushed upon Nick DeVries uh, and his performance and the, the comments that have been made so far uh, this week by Helmut Marco is basically suggesting that he was pushing for Nick DeVries to take that second half of seat against Christian Horner's wishes. And it's looking at the moment like Christian Horner um, has been uh, proven right at this stage. Again, it was an interview in a podcast edited slightly so it's always difficult to get the complete context but this opens us nicely to talk about you know firstly the Alpha Tauri situation Yuki Tsunoda has, himself has come out and said this week that he'd be open to looking further afield than a Red Bull family if an opportunity weren't to come up within the senior team so those two seats seemingly 
fair game. Could you see maybe a Daniel Ricciardo um, who has himself said that he would be willing to potentially step down to work his way up with Red Bull and it'd be a kind of fairy tale ending? Could you see him partnered by, say, a Liam Lawson? I think if they were to change their lineup completely um, with Yuki, I don't know, moving on to a different team or to the senior Red Bull seat uh, in replace of, say, Sergio Perez. You'd like to think that if they were completely to change their lineup, that they would bring in experience from Ricardo, or they'd leave Yuki Tsunoda in place. Again, Alex Pillow, the IndyCar driver who's currently leading the standings, already has an IndyCar um, championship to, under his under his hat. He's linked with McLaren for IndyCar next year. There was obviously that whole um, contract scenario last year. He's currently with Chip Ganassi, but actually. I think potentially McLaren in F1 could be an option for him because I think Lando Norris isn't set in stone at McLaren. So this is you know, just two teams that we're talking about here at this stage. You've got Carlos Sainz now being linked to Audi. I'm sorry to mention Audi. I hate mentioning Audi and drivers, and as you know, but he's having to kind of deny uh, those links there because obviously he's still very much part of the, dri- the, um, the driver equation at Ferrari. Will that change? Will he make it to 2026? who knows and this is a bit a long string of consciousness because it is already getting that complex um so guys what are your feelings let's start with alpha towery do you see it the same way i do or do you think there are other protagonists um, and other drivers that we need to maybe factor into our thinking i think it's going to be a very long decision for the team to make sonoda has for me personally taken a step forward in his performance this season. I know before his seat at AlphaTauri was called into question and it was he needs to like calm down, be more mature about it, get his head on straight. And I feel like he's done that. But it is nice to see that he, if an opportunity at Red Bull doesn't arise for him, he is willing to look elsewhere. With Ricardo, as you said, Sam, he has said it would be a fairy tale ending to his career to finish and retire with Red Bull. At the moment, Checo is obviously contracted till the end of 2024, but as we have said many times before, the beginning of his season has kind of gone downhill. So if he were to leave Red Bull, I can't really see Ricardo going back to Red Bull. I could see him going to AlphaTauri. For Sonoda, he could be brought up to Red Bull, but I don't think that would be the best move for his career. I do think Liam Lawson is a good shout. He's racing in Super Formula this year. He has had a good, a great campaign in that championship so far he won his debut but for De Vries I do think he will not be in F1 for 2024 I think last year in Monza he performed great he outperformed Latifi in the Williams amazing scored points and I feel like people jumped on the train of he's going to be great in F1 let's put him in a car and he has underperformed so I think that he will be out by the end of the season well, this, this is the thing. Mick Schumacher, who was linked to that Williams seat uh, as well, obviously went to Logan Sargent, is potentially a bit of a key here in the puzzle because Franz Tost's preference for that Nick de Vries seat was Mick Schumacher. And Logan Sargent got the Williams seat in the end. Mick Schumacher didn't. He's another guy who maybe needs to up his game slightly. Nick de Vries, I think, needs to absolutely smash it over the next half of the season in order to retain his seat. Logan Sargent, I think, needs to do less. I think Williams will give him more time, but there's potentially a seat there. But I think you're absolutely right. I think I can't see Ricardo going back to Red Bull. I also can't see Perez seeing out 
his contract. I think there's too much bad blood there. There's too much that happened to kind of you know make that amicable over the next eighteen months. And I think if they can get Norris, I think that's when you see someone like Alex Pelo slotting in alongside Oscar Piastri. If they can't, that's Yuki Sonoda, and then that's maybe Daniel Ricciardo's opportunity. Um, I think Liam Lawson really should be a lock. He's proven himself in F2. He's proving himself now in F2 for Formula. So I think we can start to map it out, but I think there's a lot of things have to kind of fall fall in place first for that to happen. One person we haven't mentioned, obviously, out of contract at the end of the season is Lewis Hamilton. That was meant to be a very straightforward contract, which initially they said should have been done before the start of this season. We've then heard, yeah, yeah, we're near the end. We're near the end of uh, agreeing a new contract with Mercedes and there's still nothing. So that doesn't seem quite as straightforward. Um, Both the hash drivers are out of contract at the end of this year. But I was just looking through all of the... um, uh, driver contracts and, and when they end and actually next year is going to be insane so Sergio Perez's contract ends next year so do both Ferrari drivers uh, so do both Alpine drivers so does Oscar Piastri's so does Fernando Alonso's and so does Valtteri Bottas's so next year it's almost a complete shake-up of, of what we think we know now yeah and I think we've seen from last year that y- you don't know what you think you know more often than not, really. Yeah, the end date of a contract things. doesn't really matter if someone yeah. wants you, right? Well, it's that, you know, like, obviously it's slightly different, but it's that old saying that as soon as you sign a contract, you've got lawyers trying to work out how to how you can get out of it. I think that would be a little bit the case with some of the guys up and down the grid. But, yeah, you've mentioned Haas there. Could that be a proving ground for some of the F2 guys coming through? You're looking at where they might land, if any do. Maybe Terra Porchera, Alfa Romeo, but will he get an opportunity next year? Joe's doing enough. Valtteri's doing enough. He's under contract as well. Will he get another contract in F1? Who knows? That's why 2024 is going to be interesting. But then you've got the whole kind of Leclerc-Aston Martin thing that's starting to kind of... And I don't put much weight behind that. I can't see Stroll being replaced unless he kind of really does say, look, I don't want to do this anymore. Or or there is a yeah a decision made there. Fernando Alonso, he's not getting any younger, even if he is continuing to prove himself to be ever the, the quick racing driver and more than good enough to be in F1. The Lewis thing, I think, is the least kind of... Ooh, will he won't he I think he will I think that's that's locked off but if he were not to where would Mercedes go would they go to Leclerc would they go to Ocon who knows so yeah it's the next 18 months are going to be fascinating and I think the grid could look very very different come 2025 and that that's even before we had in the two potentially two new teams in 2026 so yeah this is going to be a rolling story for a while I just want to go back to the Schumacher thing because he has said that he's always ready for action and he's working hard to be back in the car soon and it should be that time again next year at the latest. I'm sure something will develop in the near future is what he has said. And obviously, we've said it before, Toto Wolff has said for Schumacher, 2024 will be a considerably difficult year for him to get on the grid. Because, as you said, Ollie, a lot of drivers' contracts are ending at the end of next year, so seats are taken for 2024. But Toto does believe that Schumacher could have a chance getting on the grid in 2025. And I do think, Sam, you said about Franz Tost having interest in him um, for AlphaTauri. I do think that he could end up there potentially with the changes coming to that team. Potentially, but 
by the end of 2024, he's two years out of the seat and he's not got the history that, say, Nico Hulkenberg has that you can lean upon to say, look, we can put him back in and he will do fine. And I didn't think Nico Hulkenberg would be as competitive as he has been. But Schumacher doesn't have that history. And you know, you've got Toto Wolf saying, look, he's been fantastic. He's doing this, this, this. But some drivers are just great reserve drivers. The Mark Janais of the world, the Pedro De La Rosses, the Alex Verts, they are fantastic at doing what they do, developing a team. But are they best suited for racing? I think Schumacher fits into that category, if I'm being really, really brutally honest. Okay, now we are running out of time. There's so much news this week. Um, But there is talk of, is F1 going in the right way? Now, there's been surprise investors this week. Abby, do you want to talk us uh, through exactly what's gone on? There's talk of Premier League teams. It's just all gone a bit wild, isn't it? It has. So Liberty Media, the CEO, Greg Maffey, if I have said that name correctly, I apologise if not, he has admitted that Liberty Media are interested in looking into buying several Premier League teams, including Liverpool, Man U and Tottenham. And if you recall, F1 announced a partnership with Tottenham earlier this year to build an all-electric indoor karting facility inside the stadium. But with F1 as well, outside of the grand scheme of the sport and focusing closer on a team Alpine, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney alongside Otro Capital and Redbird Capital Partners have invested in Alpine F1 team. They have a 24% stake in the team. And if you recall, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are joint owners of Wrexham AFC, which that team has seen a massive boost in performance since Reynolds and McElhenney have taken it over. But Otro Capital has also worked with NFL teams, including Dallas Cowboys, Cleveland Browns. They've worked with ice hockey teams as as well as Major League Baseball teams. And Redbird Capital Partners have also been involved with Liverpool, Boston Red Sox, Rouge Fenway NASCAR, the team, as well as AC Milan and more football teams. So it is looking that F1 is going to be joining hands with football, soccer, whichever you prefer to call it, in the future. And it seems to be growing, but there is some controversy surrounding this whole development of the sport. I think Liberty Media are just so huge. I'm not actually sure if, you know, if they're purchasing parts of, of Premier League teams or the entire teams, how much of an effect that will directly have on F1. But in terms of peop- other people investing in F1, it just shows that, um, that there's a return to be had, right? F1 is still growing. And a team like Alpine, obviously Ryan Reynolds, uh, that there is an appeal there to be part of it. It's it, it's certainly good for Liberty Media. Um, is it good for the fans? I don't really think it makes much of a difference. Do you, Sam? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to sit right on the fence on this one and say we're going to have to just see how it p- plays out because it's been great for Wrexham, um, what's happened there. Uh, and Abby, I'm really glad that you're taking this point because I cannot say Rob Mikel. <laughs> I name. winged that. So. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> even made a kind of song about it, taking the mic out of it. Uh, but the fact that Alpine were valued at a billion dollars just says the growth that we've seen in the teams. And we're seeing that across sports franchises all over the world. Um, but yeah, you know, synergies to use awful, awful corporate jargon um, are effective across sports. And that's why we're seeing this happen more and more. Okay, well, thank you for that story and all of all of the others, guys. That is uh, about all we've got time for. I know we've gone over slightly today. Um, but we will be back with a special Sprint Saturday podcast on Saturday to talk about, you guessed it, what happened. Um, and then we will also follow with the race review. There's just far too much to cover and just squeeze into one, so we'll space it out. But until then... 
that's all we've got time for. I'd like to thank the trusty twosome, um, <laughs> Sam and Abby. Thank you uh, very much, both of you. Not the gruesome twosome. The trusty twosome <laughs> sounded a lot better than that, didn't it? <laughs> Thank you, Abby. <laughs> Thank you for having us and for being a great addition to the trio. That is the news podcast, whilst James is obviously not here. Yes, indeed. He is he is missed, then he is partly replaced by Ollie. Um, but yes, he is uh, taking to fatherhood like a duck to water, from what I can tell. Um, but yes, thank you very much for hosting, as always, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. It's been, I mean, the fact that the, the Alpine news was bottom of the docket says just how busy this week has been, right? And as a tribute to the great James McKenzie, um, it's lights out, mics off, and away we go. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Podcast Network.